I'm going to talk tonight a little bit about sin. And it's something we sometimes try and skip. I know it's a little, little word, but we sometimes skip it. But I'm going to argue that God uses it a lot, Jesus uses it a lot, so we need to get over it. Sin means missing the mark. God's perfect, you and I aren't. And we miss the mark. And when we miss the mark, when we sin, we mess up relationships with God, with others, and we mess ourselves up. God hates it, but he loves us. If I was to do a re- I'm not going to do this, by the way, but if I was going to do a really memorable service tonight, I'd get a massive flip chart here, and I'd say, let's write up all the sins we've done. We're not going to do it. <laughs> I bet it'd be quite a list, if we're honest. And I bet some of you are thinking, I wouldn't write that one down. But I'm doubting, I'm hoping, that none of us have committed adultery and murder in the last week. David, in this passage of 2 Samuel, breaks eight of the Ten Commandments in one go. That is good going. Well, bad going. Eight out of ten. And yet in the Psalms today, he is asking for forgiveness. He's asking to be restored to God. He's asking for him, for his, um, he uses phrases like whiter than white, joy and gladness and rejoicing. What on earth is he on? Is he deluded? Is he arrogant? At least a little optimistic? How can he possibly think after what he's done, he can experience that? He's none of those things. He gets God's mercy and forgiveness. Probably better than we do. Let's pick it through. First of all, what he does is, he says how bad and offensive sin is to God. Do you know we're not going to mature into, um, we're not going to grow into mature Christians until we get a handle on that. He neither ignores what he's done wrong, he doesn't belittle it. A few months ago, I was watching TV at home, and um, I got a carbon monoxide alarm in my house. Oh yes. Um, only because my boiler was about 40 years old, and I was panicking. But um, I was watching TV, I was engrossed in a program, and suddenly it went, went off, making a right racket. It was incredibly irritating and annoying, and it made me feel a bit uncomfortable as well. So I started thinking, ooh, is this gas all in here? But it wouldn't have been a good idea to ignore the carbon monoxide alarm. That would have been a bad idea. When the Holy Spirit prompts sin in your life and my life, we will find it inconvenient. We will find it uncomfortable. We might be alarmed by it. But the daftest thing we can do is to ignore what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Tim Keller writes, The gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we dared believe. Have you ever heard horrifically bad apologies from children? Just just plucking out an example now. Imagine a child in your house has broken something expensive, talking first-hand here, and you look at it, and you're shocked, and then you get this. I've said this before, but you get, sorry, sorry, and you're looking at this broken thing in your house. They're not sorry that it's broken. They're worried that the ice cream you've promised later they're not going to get. That's what the actual sorry is about. David doesn't do that in his psalm, if you ever look at it. He pulls no punches when he talks about the effect it's had on him. He says he's not sleeping at night because of it. He has no peace. He says he's done evil. He says he's sinned against God. 
He says he's rebelled against God. That's pretty strong stuff. And acknowledging the brave message Nathan gives, later on he even calls one of his children Nathan, as, I guess as a memory of what he did. But he doesn't stop there. What a depressing talk if I sat down now. He appeals to God's attributes. God's unfailing love. God's great compassion. That God desires honesty. That God teaches wisdom. That God does not reject a broken and repentant heart. He even says his judgment is just. If you read on in 2 Samuel what happens because of this, the child dies and David's family implodes. The last ten chapters of 2 Samuel are horrific reading. David isn't arrogant in his stuff in the Psalms. He recognises that unlike you and me, who go up and we go down, God is constant. God is unchanging. God showers us with mercy and he showers us with grace. They're not quite the same. Mercy is God not punishing us like we, like we deserve to be. Grace is God blessing us despite what we've done. And the result of this, if you listen to the metaphors, are incredible. His sins are purified. They're washed whiter than snow. Do you had the snow? About Fe- I don't know, it's February, March? And it came down, and we all went out in there, sledging. It was a bit of a mess after a bit. And then we got another pile of snow on. It was like all new. That's what it's like with God. David says his joy is back. He has a clean heart. A loyal spirit who no longer wants to rebel against God. He has a Holy Spirit within him. He has forgiveness. And tucked away in there, he has the ability to now praise God in the right spirit. Because we cannot truly worship God if we're not right by neighbour. Do you know, if we're really, really honest, we probably struggle with an all-forgiving God. Because we don't work like that. A few weeks ago, I was in Tesco, and I was going down the frozen food aisle, and uh, someone backed into me. It was a complete accident. They stood on my toe. And I went, ow, in a dramatic fashion, actually, I did. Um, in a Wes fashion. And uh, they swung around and said, oh, I am so sorry. You'll be delighted to know that I'm not holding a grudge about that incident. Okay? <laughs> I've moved on. I wasn't lying awake at night thinking, I must forgive them. They stood on my toe. They said sorry. We moved on. But I could have been born in a different place, a different time, a different set of circumstances. What about forgiving someone who's committed genocide? Or a murderer? Or let's just list them off, a rapist, a paedophile. That would take longer. Maybe a lifetime struggle. God doesn't work like that. When we sin, we're saying... God, you're not first in my life. It's a form of idolatry. And every sin requires God to be overwhelmingly gracious if there's to be forgiveness. Let me complete Tim Keller's quote, because it's brilliant. The gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope.
David has every reason, every reason to think that God will forgive him. Not because how he acted towards Bathsheba is acceptable, but because God is merciful. Mercy, defined by the Cambridge Dictionary, is kindness that makes you forgive someone, usually someone you have authority over. That's how grace and mercy work. It's based on God's character, not ours. And it involves a total eradication of every sin we repent of. But David takes it even further. He talks about sin leading to joy. How how on earth can that happen? I'm not saying, and nor is David saying, let's sin more and then we'll get more joyful. Because sin does not make you joyful. But when we realise how much we've fallen short, that will lead us to greater joy at finding forgiveness. And the greater the love we'll feel towards a forgiver. Jesus says it in Luke 7. I I love the conversation with Luke and Peter. I'm going to put a slight kind of sarcastic turn on on it, but it might not have been there. It's just my interpretation. But Simon Peter, especially in the early days, is a little bit slow sometimes. And I I love this thing Jesus says. So Jesus says, uh, two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker cancelled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered. Um, adding in. I suppose the one who's forgiven most. That's right, said Jesus. I love that line. If someone walked in here now and they were absolutely parched, they're dying for a drink, I'm hoping we'd go and give them a drink. We'd expect them to experience joy at the end of it. They come in thirsty, they get a drink, they'd experience joy. When you and I ask for forgiveness... It's a bit weird if we don't experience joy afterwards. Because it's a gift from God. And all gifts from God are good. We're supposed to enjoy being forgiven. So what's this mean for us? David writes for God to blot out all his sins. And yet he wouldn't quite have got that like we do. How were you saved during Old Testament times? common perception is, oh, you followed the law. But Paul writes in Galatians, and he quotes Habakkuk, it's clear no one can be made right by God by following the law. For the scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. In Old Testament times, they were looking forward to this promised Messiah, who would save the people from their sins. We've got a clearer picture in Jesus. God's Son, the very nature of God revealed to us. Jesus, who in full consultation with the Father and the Spirit, willingly took all our wrongdoing on the cross. That's the God we serve. The closer we are to Jesus, the further we travel with him, the more we'll want that forgiveness, the more we'll grasp just how amazing he is. Have you ever deleted a computer file and it's come back? <laughs> you suddenly find it in your recycle bin. Or worse, it's been backed up on the server. That's what sin can be like for you and me. We forget about it and then it bounces back. And we start panicking about it. 
I was told the only way, not that I'm saying, I'm giving the impression I'm trying to delete lots of stuff on my computer, I'm not. But apparently, the only way to delete it is you don't just get rid of it in the directory, because it's still there. You shove something else on top of it, and then you've got rid of it. That's what being forgiven by God is like. He overwrites our sins with his righteousness. And he removes it completely from his memory. He deletes the sin, he delights us leaving you, me, David, with clean records and a clean heart. Whether your biggest indiscretion is going 21 miles an hour through Western High Street, or genocide, forgiveness of sins is available to everyone if we repent. It's a little wonder that David sang so much. Let's just bow our heads. This bit's between, um, between you and God now. I'm just going to give four scenarios. I just ask you to say, just prompt me, Holy Spirit, which one of these do I need to work on? Because if we're not here to be close to what Jesus wants us to be, we really should just stay at home. So which one, Holy Spirit, are you guiding me on? The first is you might not know Jesus. Just do a quiet prayer to him now. Sorry for missing a mark. I want to follow you. Thank you. Or maybe you're being prompted to repent for a sin in your life. David writes, then you'll be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. Say sorry for that sin. And then you can truly worship God on the last few songs we're going to have in a minute. Or maybe the consequences of your sin have really messed up relationships. Pray for wisdom in those situations. But don't forget you are forgiven. Or finally, maybe you're struggling with a sin. Pray that you will know that with God's Holy Spirit, you can resist. Just a minute with God now. <laughs> 